Hello, I am Donna Freeman, the founder of Yoga in My School, and this is the Yoga in My School podcast. I appreciate you coming and having a listen. Thank you for your likes, your shares, your comments, and your ratings. It truly is a blessing as it helps others to find us. The purpose of the Yoga in My School podcast is to empower you to share yoga and mindfulness with youth. Through the archives and this episode in particular, I know that you will receive inspiration, knowledge, and tools to help you do so. We also are big fans of building community, and we love finding people who are doing amazing things in the kids' yoga community worldwide. So if you know of someone, or maybe you are someone, who are doing something incredible and you'd like to share it, feel free to reach out. You can email me, Donna, at yoganmyschool.com with ideas for upcoming episodes. Appreciate you listening. Have a wonderful day, and enjoy this episode. Hi, this is Donna Freeman of Yoga in My School, and I'm here today to chat with David Trelevin. He has just written a book called Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness. And when, as soon as I found out about this book, I was thrilled with the topic um, because I do a lot of trauma sensitive work and trauma sensitive trainings in the yoga uh, community. And I was intrigued with the description of the book of how it was talking about leveraging the powerful benefits of mindfulness and yet minimizing the potential dangers and that's really a huge topic for me is how we can help people without triggering them in a trauma sensitive way so without further ado I'm going to introduce David David how are you doing hi Donna I'm great really happy to connect with you I'm happy to connect with you too. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to write this book? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, well, I'm from Canada, which makes me really happy to connect with you. I know, right? It's great. I'm currently living in California uh, in the midst of all the mudslides and um, things we've had here over the summer. I'm originally from Canada, grew up in Toronto. I went west and I was at, it was in Vancouver for 10 years and became a, uh, counseling psychology. I did my master's in counseling. I were a number of years with, you know, Donna, can I just jump in? Yeah. Um, did my, I just noticed my internet went out. It's okay. It'll keep recording. It'll be fine. Yeah. It might be a little bit shaky in okay. the recording and that's okay. Okay. You just let me know if you want anything. Um, you want me to start from the beginning or just, no, just keep going. Right. We're good. Thanks everyone for hanging <laughs> live events right? yeah right exactly here we go uh so yeah worked as a therapist in vancouver for a number of years i was working with uh, male sex offenders i was working in the forensic um, department inside of bc health and then came down to the u.s and did a doctoral degree in psychology and the short story i can tell you my story um if you like but the basic version is i've been um practicing meditation and mindfulness for a long time and uh, I, I'm really moved by the practice. It really changed my life. And then had an experience about 12 years ago where um, I ended up feeling quite dissociated on a retreat. And I got really confused and spun out and um, basically kept going to teachers and saying, hey, I'm having this experience uh, and I feel like I can't come back to my body. And the basic instruction I got was really just trust the practice, you know, keep coming back to the cushion. And so that's what I did. You know, I, I was in a lot of pain uh, emotionally at the time. And I just said, well, I want to be a good student. 
kept working it, but I found the more that I practice and even with the more intensity, it actually kind of made things worse. Mm. So ended up um, finding myself in a pretty rough spot after the retreat, talked to people about it, and they were talking about trauma. Mm. They really talked about trauma. They said, you should really you know, look into traumatic stress. I went and saw a trauma therapist, and it turned out that I had been, I was really in a couple-year period of experiencing um, vicarious trauma or yes. secondary trauma from this work I've been doing. And everything, Donna, just started to click. And it started to make a lot of sense. And so that's what sprung the investigation of, okay, what's happening at the intersection of mindfulness and trauma? And then started talking more publicly about it and then became a bit of a lightning rod. So people started writing me and it turned it out, oh my gosh, there's lots of people who were struggling in silence. Um, and last thing I'll say is I, I love mindfulness. I love the community. I'm a big fight for mindfulness um, still being a part of this growing transformative movement in schools and elsewhere. And I just want to be in a conversation about how do we do it really well. So that's the short version of um, how I came to the book and, and then it all happened. So I'm happy Wonderful. to be writing about it. Yeah. Wonderful. So you were talking about how you were kind of this lightning rod and things were coming to you and people started kind of coming out of the woodwork because you were really being open about how maybe this practice whatever was going on wasn't being helpful to you and how you could change it in order to serve you better. Um, so how common is it for trauma survivors um, to, you know, reach out to yoga and meditation? Uh-huh. You mean inside of like when people are having a, an experience? Well, think... yeah. Well, in your, so let's say that you're a yoga teacher or yeah. you're a meditation teacher and you want to share these wonderful healing practices with the world how many people are in your class are going to be trauma survivors? It's such a good question. Um, and I think that's what makes this topic so dynamic to me is that we never know. We actually don't know trauma as you know, folks who are watching this will know is um, it's an experience that can happen outside our bodies. But what happens is it impacts us so deeply internally that, and we often carry this around. It's a kind of um, like an unseen labor that people who are trauma survivors often go through. And it's so, in my experience, it's just so painful for people that have experienced trauma that people in their, even their closest circles don't always know, right, the, the amount of suffering that they're going through on a daily basis, especially post-traumatic post stress. So, uh, and to answer your question, uh, this is a, a reflection I've been in is, okay, well, so what would be the number? And on, you know, on some level, I don't know. But what research tells us is that the majority of us, 90% of us, there's an international study that said, we're all going to go through a potentially overwhelming, profoundly dysregulating experience that's threatening for us, that's considered traumatic. And then there'll be about, they say, you know, 16 to 18% of us that will develop symptoms over a longer term period of time. We can call that post-traumatic stress disorder, or it could just be symptoms of, of post-traumatic stress. But you know, the odds are that in any room where we're practicing yoga or we're practicing meditation, there will be someone in the space who has unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. Whether the symptoms are active or not, you know, that's something that we need to start being skilled about, and you and I can mm -hmm. talk about that. But I think that's it. Even if there's only one person who's there, that's up to us as practitioners to say, okay, how can I be skilled? and competent at what I'm offering. Yeah, I love that, right? And just kind of, I, I now walk into all of my classes assuming that 
pretty much everybody is coming in with some type of traumatic background. I don't know the degree and I don't need to know their stories, but it's up to me to offer trauma sensitive resources in a trauma informed manner um, so that it is a healing atmosphere rather than a triggering atmosphere. That's right. That's right. I, I have, I love that you said that about what would it mean? That's such a deep shift for us to make often to say, what if I go into this experience? Let's just expect that mm -hmm. someone will be, instead of it being a surprise every time, which, you know, for a lot of us, I think it is. But so that's a really big shift. And I appreciate you naming that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's talk about some of the ways that mindfulness and meditation can be beneficial to trauma survivors. Yeah, it's a big one. Uh, you know, I'll say at this point, there's not a ton of research specifically looking at the intersection of mindfulness meditation and post-traumatic stress. There's been a lot of research that says, as your listeners will know, over you know, decades now, three decades of research saying these mindfulness interventions help with stress. And I think a lot of us say, I know I did, I thought, well, if it helps with stress, then you think it would help with traumatic stress. And sometimes yes, and sometimes no. That's, what I, that's really the punchline of what I learned. But in terms of how it can help, the big punchline here is around self-regulation. That mindfulness uh, is grounding concentration, it's creating some stability, uh, uh, some mental stability of self, and emotional regulation as well. Now there's this research that says that mindfulness, that's, that's really the, the, what we found in terms of stress, is that it increases our ability to self-regulate, and then there's these versioning studies talking about the amygdala, which is known as the fire alarm in the limbic system of the brain, and that it actually sh it can shrink with consistent mindfulness practice. So for people that are, well, I'll back up for a second and say, trauma is often about a loss of control, as you know. It's this, it's this sense when I meet survivors, it's this feeling of at any point, I just don't know what's going to happen. It's like I'm in the back seat of my car, or the passenger seat, and someone's driving my car, and I don't know when I'm going to be flooded with thoughts or memories or sensations, these real gut-wrenching sensations. And so meditation can help us just start to regulate our nervous systems in a bit of a different way, give us strategies to actually work in a moment-to-moment -moment way with symptoms, and by no means is it a magic bullet, but it is one particular tool that if, if practiced, especially in the context of someone who's working in a trauma-informed way, can be really helpful for folks that have been feeling spun out of control for a long time. Fabulous. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I know. I like your description of we have this research on mindfulness that is very deep and that it can be helpful. And so we assume that it will be helpful in this other context of being trauma informed. And yet sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. And that is kind of the, the tightrope that we walk, which ones are and which ones aren't. And that's why I think your book, your new book is going to be so helpful to people who really want to, to offer things in a way that is trauma sensitive. So I appreciate you taking the time to have written it. I understand what it takes to write a book. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, Donna, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. What do you think, what do you, what if, what do you recommend when you're talking, it sounds like you've been doing trauma-informed work around yoga and what would you say are, you know, top one or two things? Like, what are you tracking for? And I'm happy to talk about what I'm suggesting in the book, but 
what are you tracking for and how, what do you tell people who say, hey, I want to I want to take on trauma informed practice? Well, the first couple of things I talk about are um, the languaging that you use, that you'll change your yeah. languaging dramatically, <laughs> dramatically from yeah. being the dictator at the top of the class to being very invitational and giving people options so that we're providing that sense of ownership for the practice. You know, something as simple as um, maybe in this meditation, you will look forward and soften your gaze, or you will turn your eyes slightly down, or if you would like to close your eyes, right? Right there, you've given them three options, and they can choose their focal point for a seated meditation, right? That's great. So that they can, you know, if they're not feeling comfortable with eyes closed, they might feel safer with eyes open, looking straight ahead, so that they can use their peripheral vision to track what's going on in the space, right? Just so simple things like that, but creating safety in languaging, safety in the environment. And again, that is in um, always asking permission for touch. Uh, <laughs> these yeah, yeah, these type of things that seem not to be the norm. And I really want them to be the norm. I love it. I so appreciate it. I, I just want to say, I think that's, I think what you're naming is such a profound shift that I think you and I, are, are advocating for, mm -hmm. and it might happen over the next, you know, two, three, five, ten years. And I want to say this to folks who are listening, part of the argument I'm making, uh, I think it lines up with, with what you're saying, is to adopt trauma-informed practice isn't just a checklist. No. It's a profound path. And we can talk, I mean, trauma is so damn complex biological, psychological, and then deep social components around oppression and power. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just, for people, I think you, what you said about that tightrope, we're walking that rope of both having practical points to say, yeah, it is didactic. We can, we can have a checklist and at the same time to be in a deep practice. Like what you just said about choice, I think is just the most profound thing that we can offer survivors. It's an, we're, we are as practitioners and teachers that we're an invitation mm -hmm. into the practice and, and not demanding and leaving people in choice. And I think that takes, I don't know how it's been for you, but it's just years of training mm -hmm. of how to be an invitation, but not be too wishy-washy. You know what I mean? Like I've been in classes where it's like, Hey everyone, if you want, you know, maybe you can maybe do this, but people also I think want to be held. So what's that balance? And yeah. I, I just love that you brought that up. So yeah, it's really and it is it's difficult. It's it's part uh, science and definitely part art. And to be able right. to combine those things together. So uh, and I highly encourage anybody who's listening to take trauma informed training in your local area or online, do what you can to become really aware of how to create safety, how to um, empower your practitioners with agency, and, and all those type of things. Um, so that whatever interaction you're having with people that you are respecting them and being helpful to them. Um, but I want to get into what are some of the pitfalls, what are some of the contraindications yeah. of um, doing mindfulness and meditation. Yeah, so this is the, um, <laughs> this is the other side of the coin uh, that I'm, I'm raising in the book. And the basic argument here is that by asking someone who is experiencing symptoms of trauma, that could be flashbacks or really dysregulating sensations, to pay consistent attention, 
steady, consistent attention to their body, to physical sensations, and to their moment-to-moment experience can actually be profoundly dysregulating mm-hmm. for people. I mean, it, yoga, this is what I learned, yoga, meditation are such profoundly powerful tools. And as all, you know, as your listeners will know, it's just, it opens up so many doors. And um, there are times where it can be a little bit too much too fast for folks, especially when you're in a class or you're in an environment where you don't have someone tracking you closely. And so by, by applying basic instructions inside of yoga or inside of meditation, you know, hey, just keep paying attention, keep going in. It doesn't, it, it can actually lead to symptoms like, like dissociation, extreme dissociation. It could exacerbate flashbacks. And at the worst, and this is for a, this is for a small percentage of people, it could actually lead to re-traumatization. And again, we're, we're talking about a smaller group, but this is us. We get to be powerful as teachers and say, let's make sure this is accessible and safe for everyone mm-hmm. that we're working with. So that's the, that's the basic um, unfolding. I'm happy to talk about more. In the book, I'm basically going through a number of chapters and saying, here's why. Here's why this is happening. And there's lots of different angles that we could um, take on that. But that's basically the punchline here is that more is not always more, right? When you're, it's just not, even though it's very counterintuitive, like, I don't know, meditation. Like, are you kidding? What could go wrong? And and you know, like, and then once you know, you know, but you Mm -hmm. gotta, it's up to us to say, okay, let's bring this powerful practice in increasingly nuanced uh, and um, nuanced and applicable ways to folks who have had a range of different experiences. Love it. Love it. All right. So as you were saying in your book, you talk about the whys. You know, this could happen and this is why it might happen. And, and again, we don't know. We're um, Most yoga instructors and, and meditation instructors aren't psychologists. We're not clinicians. That's and that's right. not our role, right? Um, but how? what are some things some tools that specific tools that we could use to make sure that our classes and our practices are safe, wise, and caring. That's great. I mean, for anyone that's listening to this talk, I just, I love that that's even would be someone's aspiration. I just think that's a really powerful declaration to make as teachers and leaders. Like we have people's lives in our, in our hands. They're gifting us this privilege. And so I just appreciate what you said. And I think to answer that, I'll I'll throw in my definition of trauma-informed care. I'd love to get to the, I really want to give folks, hey, here's some specific things that you can be doing. Um, And I want to give, here's my definition of trauma-informed care. And I want to see how this, whether it jives with where you, what you think around yoga. Um, The definition I use is a four-part definition. It's four R's and it comes from the National Mm -hmm. Center for Trauma-Informed Care. I find it so useful. Um, And that is that you real, it's realizing the widespread impacts of trauma, recognizing symptoms, responding to them skillfully, and actively trying to prevent re-traumatization. So re-traumatization is the last four. So that's, that's what I see. I think that is the, 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 what you come back to is a kind of a four-part note almost that hits a scale where, okay, we're doing work to say, how widespread is trauma? What is traumatic stress? How does it relate to the, the Me Too movement? Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter. Everything that's cooking right now. Like, how can we tie in and go, 
let's keep getting back and looking at what we mean by trauma. And then being able to recognize symptoms, which we can talk about, and then responding skillfully. I so appreciate what you just said. We're not, many of us are not going to be trained as trauma professionals. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, how do we just keep people safe? Like, how do we actually make sure at the very least we're not having people re-traumatize themselves? So that's what I, I'm curious what you think of that, of that four part. When I first heard that, I thought, oh, that kind of hits all the different yep. notes. I love that. Actually, yeah. I, I really like that. I hadn't heard that before, so I appreciate you sharing that. But yeah. to realize the widespread nature, which I think people are beginning to notice. Um, recognizing right. symptoms, lots of people are like, well, what does it look like? Like, I don't know. Like, I've got this kid misbehaving in class, and he's just driving me nuts. Well, <laughs> there could be something there. Right. Right. right? right. Um, well, and even, you know, there's so many symptoms, right, which is a wonderful topic and maybe one that we'll do another time because I think that is a very rich topic as well. Um, and then re the responding skillfully, which I think is kind of the impetus of your book is this is what's kind of happening. And now how can I respond in a skillful, careful manner? Totally. Yeah. So in the book, and I'm happy to loop back in a conversation with you about it, there's, I really start with here's, here's a list of symptoms, mm -hmm. which when you're in a nonverbal practice, you got it's you got to get pretty good at it and it's yes. that combination to say to everyone here it's that combination of both you know i get the vibe maybe someone's struggling we all we're all pretty i'm sure you know if you're a yoga teacher you're good at being able to see that or kids and then learning how to engage skillfully and having a conversation mm -hmm. but then i think and then so i'm happy to talk for a second about some specific suggestions and i think what's so key here and what you've been talking about is not to the danger in assuming that just we, we can hold it. And this is a conversation with lots of different people that trauma, you know, it's not just an intensely, it's, an, it's not just a negative emotion. Hmm. It's not just a negative emotion. It comes with negative emotions, as you know, and it is, there are complex things happening in one's psychobiology that to undo trauma, to recover from trauma, it really does take some training. Mm -hmm. It really does take some skills. Just asking someone to feel more or drop in like, you know, I mean, I'm here, <laughs> oh I'm here, yeah, I'm here in California where you got lots of people, I don't want to be disrespectful, but where we kind of overestimate our ability of what we can and can't hold. Mm. So I think that's, I, I appreciate what you said about saying at a bare minimum, if you feel like that someone might experience trauma to both have a conversation and be able to provide referrals yes. at a bare minimum for folks have two to three people that you can that your trust that you can refer to and say hey can you can i want well just to be able to provide that whether the person actually follows up on it that's you know that's a whole conversation but so that's, I think that's number one, just have some folks that you can refer to because you don't have to hold everything. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and staying within your scope of practice is so vital, right? Yeah. It's like I'm coming in, often I go into schools and I'm coming in as the yoga expert. I'm not coming in as the trauma expert. Oh my goodness. But my yoga class, I think, needs to be trauma informed. Knowing that one out of four preschoolers has had a traumatic experience in their background. It's like, all right, <laughs> you, you know, even with those little kids, they need kid gloves in as you approach them and as you do practices. So 
you know, yes, everybody needs choice. Everybody deserves to have agency and power over their body and what you're asking them to do. And if it doesn't feel right, you don't do it. That's so well said. And I can, I just appreciate your passion. Like I can really feel the way this is also, you know, a topic that you really care about. And for folks, have you talked about the um, ACEs study before? Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. So folks know about that. That's just a I'm great... hoping. Okay. If no one knows about the ACEs study, go Google A-C-E-S study. <laughs> this is an important study, essential study. If you're doing any trauma-informed practices and training, you need to know about the ACEs study. It's big. It's really big. It's just so eye-opening. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you a quick story. I was, um, I was in a circle this last year and we did a practice called uh, in and out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard about this, yeah. but yes, yeah, so we're standing in the circle and the person reads this thing and says, and basically runs through a list of potentially threatening and overwhelming experiences. And you would step in by choice. You didn't, if you revealed it, if you wanted to and said, yeah, I've had this experience or someone I know have had this experience. And just to see, look around the room in a room that I would have never thought mm-hmm. the amount of just intense, trauma that people had experienced um, and a reminder that it's just often under the surface all the time. So I do think that's part of our practice is to remember like, okay, right. How can I keep this at the forefront without being fear mongering? So exactly. Right. And, and we're here to help. We're here to facilitate. Many of us do this work because we care about other people and we want them to be their best selves and as well as help us to be our best selves. Um, And so, and that's really the goal I think for anybody who is in a caring profession is, is helping others and um and doing it in a way that shows love and respect and compassion agreed agreed well do you want to talk some specifics yeah let's talk some specifics yeah We've got about so, five minutes left so okay great. <laughs> read my book yeah. <laughs> no. well that's the gist of it go read his book people <laughs> yeah, <if you> like <laughs> it. trauma sensitive mindfulness i honestly cannot wait to get my hands on it so oh, it comes out it. middle of february people <laughs> just order it pre-order it i'm so awkward at plugging but I just want people I mean and I actually this is a genuine pitch I do want it to be useful to folks who are working inside of body-based practices that require mindfulness so mm-hmm. this is an invitation when you get it other folks please write me directly and say do you need more of this or like I really want it to be practical and useful so there's 36 modifications in the back a lot which would be from it's they'll be, they'll be common sense and familiar to a lot of different people um, but there's things like, how do you, oh, there's so many. I'm trying to think of a couple. So know when to take breaks. Mm. Breaks are okay. Uh, the environment is really important. Don't necessarily flip off all the lights at the same time. Uh, you know, that's one like be, keep conscious of lighting. I think what you said about choice is huge. Leave people in choice. There's languaging around that. Um, how we use, utilize relationships. I think is key, uh, you know, turn to your neighbor. If it's, you know, depending on the class, but just have a conversation or um, we can develop relationships with students or people before a course, during it, there's, we can screen. There's all these different strategies, which I talk about in the book that um, are both practical, but again, they're not a checklist. They're not a checklist. Mm-hmm. I want to say one more thing, even though I know we're running out of time is I'm a, I am really interested in the conversation about how we think about trauma Mm. and that trauma is not just an individual tragedy, though it can be, but it's deeply related 
to larger systems around us. And for all of us, and it's so different for all of us, depending on the community we're in, is to take a real close look at, all right, what's the social context I'm in? How might that be impacting, maybe you've had this conversation on the podcast, but how might this be impacting my interactions with folks around power? Mm -hmm. uh, how might this play into their experiences of trauma and oppression? And so I, I have a, there's a chapter on this where I, I really wanna engage that conversation about how do we think about social context? How do we inform ourselves? And just do a really good job, no matter what, what role we're in. So Yeah, well, I know that you're really active in this with the social justice and, and groups that, you know, really are working to, I don't know, make people aware of power dynamics and why sometimes we do things that are completely against our nature. But in the power dynamic, you totally understand why it happens. Right. Right. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. Did I, how did I, oh my goodness, like I've just reverted because of the power dynamics in this situation. Yeah. And uh, many of us are so unaware of those things in just our day-to-day -day activities. You know, having, having people over for dinner, there are power dynamics in that, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, I include myself in that. No, it's just, it is just constant work. I mean, I'll say as a white man, just being shaped over and over to think of myself as the norm. Like, oh, I, I'm centered. I'm centered in rooms. And so to, how to break that up after this many years of being trained into thinking, oh, this is just how it is, but to actually start breaking, breaking up and really looking at, oh, how's privilege playing out in the room? How would this impact my relationship with students, clients, folks that I'm working with? And that that is so intimately woven with a lot of forms of interpersonal trauma. We can't, yeah. we can't escape it. Like the news that is happening right now is so live in this conversation, whether it's the speech around this, you know, I was thinking of Oprah's speech uh, mm -hmm. you know, at the Golden Globes where she's just bringing in, like that being an organizing moment that's just saying, hey everyone, we need to look at this. Um, there's lots of examples of good organizing here, but. Yeah, yeah, that is a, a huge topic and one that's, that's so one. rich. And I hope people begin not just to open their eyes about the pervasiveness of trauma, but how the power dynamics in their social environment impact them and everyone that's around them. And how we can, because we're, our eyes are open, that we can institute change in that. It's big. It's really it's big. big. Big work. That's Good big stuff. Work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you're looking for more information, definitely visit davidtrelevin.com and you'll learn all about David and his work and uh, the organizations that he partners with and um, his book. Definitely visit um, online any of your your favorite booksellers. You'll be able to find it. I know Amazon, Barnes & Noble and others are carrying it. It comes out middle of February, correct? It does, February 13th, day before Valentine's Day. So. Awesome. Well, yeah. David, it's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you very much for taking uh, some time out of your busy life. Thanks, Donna. That's really great to be with you. All right. Take care. You too.